Hello, everyone, and welcome. I hope everyone's having a great day. If you're not having a great day, I hope you're ready to have a great one because you're about to listen to Driven by Cause. I'm David Blyer, and I'm here with my super co-host, Jay Fisk. Hello, David. And uh, my day just got better. Thank you. Well, it's about to even get better, Jay, because we have a fabulous guest here. She's a powerful presence in the industry, having worked on numerous multi-million dollar fundraising and capital campaigns, in addition to partnering with many prestigious organizations, including the Institute for Advanced Study and Princeton University, just to name a few. She has experience with the nonprofits in the United States and the UK, including a Master's of Art in Philanthropic Studies from the University of Kent. And currently, she works as a nonprofit consultant for Dunleavy and Associates. Everyone, please welcome Susanna Coleman. Thank you very much, David, for that generous introduction. I'm very happy to be here with you and Jay. Well, Susanna, thank you for being here. We're happy you're here with us as well. You know, you have an incredible, uh, very impressive resume. Uh, how'd you get started in this industry? I would say that I fell into it. Uh, my only strategy early on when I first graduated from college was just to um, keep trying different things. And so as a result, I, I did that. I tried sales. I tried teaching. I tried being an events organizer. And it was while I was an events organizer that I realized that that's really not an effective way to raise money. It takes so much time and resources to put on a good event. Of course, they play an important part in any development portfolio, but it's best to always keep an eye on your events and ask yourself regularly, you know, what's the purpose and is it really serving that purpose? And certainly COVID has shaken up the perception that we have to do an event to raise money. Um, online events have opened up a much wider audience. So that's been a really interesting side effect of the pandemic. If you could go back to when you were first starting out and give yourself some advice, what would that advice be? It's a really good question. I think the number one thing would be that I would say to myself, stay for more than a cup of coffee in one job. Like a lot of young people, I change jobs often seeking the perfect job. So stay and really learn. And then my second thing, my second piece of advice to myself would be, don't take yourself so seriously. And that's advice I'd like to give myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's really great. Susanna, I, I think that's a wonderful for everybody. Susanna, you've worked in the nonprofit world, you know, both in the United States and the United Kingdom. Can you share any differences in fundraising between the two? Yes, um, actually, that's a really interesting topic to, to think about and talk about. Um, certainly, I've now had more than 20 odd years in the U.S. as a fundraiser and, and prior to leaving the U.K., I had about 10 years there. So when I was working in the UK, I always looked across the Atlantic to America and thought that America had all the, you know, the most modern and up-to-date thinking, the most generous people in the world. And now I look back on the other side and I think, you know, the UK is pretty good at some things in, the, in terms of development. I think the UK does particularly well kind of crowdfunding and media, social media campaigns. But I think for major gift programs, capital campaigns, um, the U.S. really is the world leader in that. Well, thank you for sharing that. And it's, it's good to hear that, you know, both are, you know, giving in different ways. As a consultant in the nonprofit industry, can you tell us more about the work you do and from your experiences, how you've helped some of these organizations? Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. Thanks for the question, David. 
Um, so I work for Dunleavy and Associates, as you said at the beginning, and unlike traditional consulting and professional services firms, Dunleavy seamlessly delivers a, a, a comprehensive array of customized solutions using experienced on-site professionals who directly provide services and work side by side with all clients as partners. Um, so rather than going in as a consultant and saying, you should, dot, 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 we're actually there working alongside you know, doing the work and um, coaching, mentoring, um, being an embedded in the organization. But back to being embedded in an organization. So serving as, as an interim is a very interesting role. I've done a, a lot of that from very small organizations to larger universities. Um, for one, vice, I was a vice president for um, a private university um, recently, just earlier this year for about six months when their vice president for institutional advancement moved on. And I had to quickly learn the culture, um, rally the team, hire, you know, fill some empty positions, be a good colleague to other vice presidents, help the president run the college, as well as keep the fundraising moving, keep the alumni um, office uh, doing its thing all through the pandemic. And I have to say it did go very well. And I was pleased recently when the president of the college um, called me and said, we got the $2 million grant that you were working on for us a few months back. So that was a very nice conclusion. Well done. Well done. You know, you've, you've worked for a variety of, uh, of universities, handful of universities, as well as in the medical research and hospital arena. Uh, is there a, a difference in raising money versus, uh, you know, in, in one versus the other? Now, in other words, how different is it to raise money for an educational institution, say for, uh, versus say a medical institution or a hospital? Well, I, I do think it's very different. Um, when you're working for an educational institution, you can really take the long-term view, give um, the alumni always the benefit of the doubt. They have a lifetime to make a gift to their alma mater. When it comes to, you know, someone's visit to a hospital, um, you know, they've had a, often had a life-changing event. It might not be something they particularly want to think about for much, much you know, for the rest of their lives or much longer. So I found that there was a gratitude window where if you could establish a relationship with um, someone who'd received services from the hospital or the medical institution within three months, then you, there was a really good chance that that person would want to make a gift. You shared a little bit about a capital campaign you, you worked on. Can you also talk about how to ensure the long-term success of these campaigns? Ooh, that's a that's a big question. I think that um, the thing to do is to go in with the long term view, so that a campaign uh, in planning of the campaign and everybody should be thinking about afterwards. So that campaign ideally is going to boost your your brand, your image, your fundraising for months, if not years afterwards. There should be a lift in the in the, in in donated income. If there's a crash after the campaign and donated income goes down, that's really an indication that the whole campaign was, was probably focused too much on right now and not on presenting donors with a vision for what their gift was going to do to raise wow. the institution into the future. Using modern techniques, using what's available now, um, like social media, like a platform where people can do peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, um, and then engaging as many people as possible. One example is to engage people as social media ambassadors. So you give them a toolkit that they can use on their social media. They can promote what's happening um, in your organization. 
Um, and usually those people also will make a gift. So it's engagement. You're asking them to help in one way, but then they also help in other ways. There's also the tip that I really like, which is don't start until you have 60% of the goal committed because you want to set an achievable goal and then exceed it. And exceeding it is really exciting. You don't just want to meet the goal. Should add here that the most recent campaign I worked on was for um, Smith Playground in Philadelphia. And mm. Smith is a beloved institution. It's been around for more than 100 years. And we used the Areva platform for a, um, a very successful online and peer-to-peer -peer fundraising campaign. We called it Play It Forward. It was modern. It was up to date. It, you know, it used social media. Um, and the Areva platform really enabled all of that. So this, this very small organization, we had a goal of 38,000, and I think we ended up at 56. And that, that oh, was just, that was a very nice thing. It was a one-week campaign between Christmas and New Year. So as a consultant, give us an idea on, on the best way an organization could go about to get, get a board that will engage, that will get involved in their fundraising effort. I, I know... From an auction standpoint, a lot of times boards are reluctant to to uh, be involved in getting auction items, or you know they might uh, they they might sponsor a table at the gala or something like that. But as a consultant, how do you how do you get nonprofits to really get their board active? So this is something that I enjoy doing. I think it's essential to build camaraderie with the board, and so that means you know setting your regular schedule of meetings. Um, if there's a specific goal to maybe increase the number, you know, the frequency of the meetings, never cancel a meeting, always be prepared, um, bring people in. At the beginning of any kind of project where uh, a new group forms or comes together for, and they haven't for a while, I like to pass around, you know, just a piece of paper and ask everyone to put their contact details on and also their birthdays. And then we celebrate people's birthdays during the course of, of, of the planning for, for whatever the project is. I think it's just a really nice way to hold people accountable in a friendly way. So once, once board members start to view each other as friends, as people that, other people they don't want to let down, then everything starts to go so much better. The other thing that I really subscribe to is the idea of buy-in on goal setting. Never set a goal outside of your board or your, you know, whatever group you've brought together, always do it with that, with that group. And preferably talk to a couple of people ahead of time, people who you think can be really helpful in either making a large gift or uh, bringing in other people who will give. Because if you get them excited about setting the goal, they'll take yeah. the goal and they'll, they'll increase it. I've had that happen to me on several occasions now. They'll say to me, well, what do you think the goal will be? And I'll say a modest number. And, and they will then say back to me, well, that's not good enough. We can do, you know, X. And uh, once you have a board member or a volunteer saying that, they have skin in the game. They feel committed to making it happen. You yeah. want them to own it. And they're more likely to own it if they come up with it than if it comes externally. Yes. Yes. If I say it, then it's my goal. If, if someone else yeah. says it, it's their goal. And uh and it's a fun thing to do together. You have to set the scene, you know, before the meeting. Don't just leave it all to the meeting, but um, set the scene with one or two trusted members of the board, go into the meeting. And I think uh, people will be surprised at how well that goes in terms of goal setting. So as a consultant, uh, would you use similar techniques on volunteers to get them to fundraise? 
Yes, I think I would. I think with volunteers, though, it's probably outside of the board, maybe for people who want to get involved, I would you know, provide them with a peer-to-peer fundraising platform like Ariva is a fabulous thing to do. Then each person gets their own page. Um, they can share that with their friends and family. They can personalize it, providing a few meaningful ways that volunteers can actually get, you know, give their time as well as their money is also really important. Yeah, that, that, that's really some really amazing advice. And, and as a consultant, can you identify any lessons or practices that you are frequently coming across when working with the nonprofits? And this is a two-parted question. Are there any common mistakes that you're seeing nonprofits making and, po- and potentially share with the audience what they can do differently to avoid these mistakes? There are some things that I do see regularly. Um, I think the first one I'd like to talk about, David, is um, magical thinking that you know somehow our nonprofit is going to double or triple donated income in the space of a year or six months. And that we're going to go out and find all these new donors because we feel like the well has dried up. That's an expression I hear often. We can't keep going back to the well or the well has dried up. We need new donors. But to really show that steady, sustainable, long-term growth, it takes time, you know, year over year doing the right things. Um, And the, the kind of the second part of that equation was feeling like we've got to find new people. Well, new donors come through treating your current donors exceptionally well, keeping them informed, keeping them engaged. Um, When people believe in your organization, they will tell their friends and family, they will pull in more people who will become the new donors. There's also a a very common thing, which is loading up one person, usually the development officer, the development director, with the expectation that they will come in and single-handedly deliver. They will bring in the money. And of course, we know it takes it takes a village. It takes yes. the culture of philanthropy, which is something that's been written a lot about. And I really subscribe to that. That development has to be integrated into the organization and has to be part of the mission. So I, I always think of every organization has their mission, whatever it is to do, eliminate homelessness, you know, provide food, education, whatever it is. But their mission also is to raise the money to do that. Um, and everybody has to be involved. Everybody on the staff, um, the board and volunteers has to be involved in that. You let in and said two wonderful things, and it really is about donor uh, retention and donor acquisition. My yes. first question would be, you know, from your experience, you know, could you recommend ideas, you know, that you could share with the audience that you're sharing about, you know, not only donor retention, but also how to continuously get that same donor to give year over year? A statistic by the Network for Good organization they put out this year that says that for the average US nonprofit, their, their retention rate is just 27%. So new donors giving again, it's just 27%. And that means that in less than four years, a typical nonprofit is turning over their entire donor base because they're losing people at, that, at such a high rate. So the main message here is to look after your current donors. And if possible, that starts at the very beginning. From the time that a new donor makes a gift, you know, they should be welcomed with a, a special, you know, a welcome pack, which could just be a letter, a phone call. You know, there should be something that marks that occasion when they first give. And then that the year two, if they give again, there should also be something special done. I'm a great believer in not just a thank you letter, but a note, a handwritten note from 
a board member is wonderful, a phone call, um, an invitation to come and take part in something. The first three years, if you can get a donor to keep coming back for three years, then after that, they, they're, they're usually a loyal and committed person. But I think looking after your donors is the number one thing that we all can do. And interestingly, I've learned more about looking after donors from smaller nonprofits than I have from larger ones. Handwritten notes, wonderful. Um, we all talk about handwritten notes. But how often does someone actually do one or how often do we receive one? Yeah. And I have to say, I've only once received a handwritten note, and that was from um, a small organization called For Pete's Sake. I'm going to jump in real quick. You've talked about the handwritten notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as an auction consultant, one of the things that I suggest to clients is that if they're raising money for a school or they're raising money for like a Boys and Girls Club or whatever, is to get the kids to write the notes and nice. have the have yeah. the kids send out you know on the, the 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 thank you for coming to the event the thank you for buying an item or for the raise the paddle whatever comes from one of the children that benefit and when you get that handwritten note from one of the children it's very very effective yeah no both of you had wonderful ideas on you know and 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 you're right Susanna you know donor retention is so important. And the appreciation, I think that's a key message of the appreciation of them always giving and and the organization, however they do that, letting them know the donor is appreciated. Which leads me to the next question. What suggestions or plans do you put in place to help with donor acquisition? So we've talked a little bit about the peer-to-peer fundraising um, idea. That is a wonderful way to bring in some new donors. But of course, then the trick is to hold on to them. But here's also where events can be helpful. Um, and that goes back to regularly questioning, you know, your portfolio of events and why we're doing them. If we do a good job with, with, with stewarding our current donors, they bring their friends to our events. And again, we should be a key part of an event is afterwards uh, and following up with people who, who, who came, new people who came. Um, maybe sending out a survey, maybe reaching out to them, um, maybe asking the person who brought them if they might, if they, if you could have a follow-up meeting with them. There's a 1.6, 1.8 million nonprofits in the United States alone. How do, what would you say to a nonprofit that says, I don't want to be part of 1.8 million nonprofits. I want people to notice us. Being true to self and mission, first of all, you know, no mission creep especially not just because a donor comes along and perhaps offers some money for something that's technically outside the mission, but keeping truly to the mission and regularly revisiting that mission. I know many nonprofits who say our goal is to put ourselves out of business, but you know what? I've also worked with nonprofits who should be out of business. They've achieved their mission or something has changed, but they still go on. They go on. It's very hard for people to let go of, uh, of their nonprofit. I found, um, But, you know, perhaps with a little coaching and a a little bit more information and the opportunity to celebrate that, we've achieved our mission. I mean, I I know of an organization that their mission was to uh, bring biracial children for adoption in the U.S. at a time when biracial children were, there was a stigma attached. There is no longer a stigma attached. This organization no longer brings children for adoption. And yet they're still continuing as a nonprofit. They don't really have a mission anymore. And I, I can think I can think of a couple of nonprofits who have clearly morphed their mission to stay in business. Uh, and I'm not going to mention any names, but there are some pretty major ones out there that are no longer 
uh, that have long since accomplished what they were created to accomplish. And, and you're right, they want to keep that, keep that infrastructure. If there was one thing you could, uh, you could change in the nonprofit industry, what, mm -hmm. what would you change? What could be improved on in the nonprofit industry? I would say taking care of the people who work, people, the people on the staff. Um, a happy staff member is so much more likely to represent the organization better. Too many profits are under-resourced, and in the day-to-day -day struggle to survive, leadership can lose sight of the fact that they can and should prioritize recruitment and training. Too often, leaders can assume that staff have made a decision to sacrifice their lives for the nonprofit. But taking care of one's people is really important. Pay attention to them, mentor them, be grateful for them. These people could earn more working for a for-profit, but they have a heart for your mission. And in this, especially in this tumultuous hiring environment, staff are our greatest asset. You've spoken a lot about the work you've done, the experiences that you've had. Um, we, it's just wonderful. But Susanna, I'm curious to know, what is something about you that might surprise our audience to find out? I think it might surprise your audience to find out that I served in Britain's Royal Navy, that I was an officer and I served in three different ships uh, for Her Majesty the Queen. That's fantastic. That actually doesn't surprise me. I could tell wow. by your demeanor. You, you, have, that, you have that military uh, persona. You really do. That, you, you know, you can tell that the structure, the way you talk, you, you clearly have that, um, that experience of serving uh, in, in the military. That's because I served in the military. So I, you, you kind of recognize that in someone. Yeah. Wonderful, Jay. Well, thank you. And which, which branch of the service did you serve in? I, I was Army. Well, I, I, I would commend and congratulate you both for, for, for your service and being veterans. And I come from a family of a lot of veterans, as Jay had met one of my family members. And, uh, you know, that's just something that you should share with everyone. And I commend you, really. Well, we always like to finish our show by asking one question. What is something I didn't ask you that you wish I did? Well, I think I would wish that you had asked me um, how to find out more about Dunleavy and Associates because I'm very proud of our, our small company. Um, so I would say check out our website, which is matchingmissions.com. And there you can read about our team members and the services that we offer our clients and, and more. Well, listen, Susanna, thank you. Uh, and Dunleavy and Associates. And uh, give us the website one more time. Matchingmissions.com matchingmissions.com and go yeah. there. We'll be able to figure out, uh, you know, the list of services that you can provide to the, to the nonprofit community. Thank you. Thank you for that. Wonderful having you here. We are going to come back with a little bit with the Ask the Maestro segment. So, so we'll be back in just a few minutes. We are a team that has had an enduring influence on the nonprofit industry for more than three decades. We pride ourselves on developing and delivering technology with a purpose. Software born of a genuine understanding and passion for cause. We are relentlessly dedicated to our client success. We are with our clients for good. We are Ariva. Tech with purpose, driven by cause. 
Ariva is the trusted advisor and market leader of fundraising, donor relationship management, and auction software and services. Exceed further, our evolutionary all-in-one digital fundraising and donor relationship management software is helping nonprofits worldwide further their mission, transform fundraising, and cultivate relationships with donors and constituents. Our Maestro Auction virtual, live, and silent auction software, text-to-bid, virtual and mobile bidding software, and text-to-fund, text-based donation software are helping nonprofits raise billions of dollars through thousands of virtual fundraising events, charity auctions, and galas. Visit Ariva.com and reach out today and see how Ariva can help your nonprofit organization go further. All right, everyone. It's time for Ask the Maestro. It's, it, it is really always hard to pick just two questions to choose from from this week. I'm gonna go ahead and take a stab at this one. It comes from Guadalupe and they wanna know, how do you balance your focus when you're a coordinator of an event in the volunteer program? Along with that, how do you make sure each area gets the attention needed to be successful in your organization? I was gonna say, you know, being deeply organized, not that I would, hold myself as the example of this, but I think being deeply organized and going into each day prepared and ready, you know, having done whatever needs to be done for that day so that you can react when you're pulled off in different directions because an events organizer is always pulled in different directions. Yeah. I, I think a couple of key words here is balance and focus. I also think it's really, you know, very um, detailed planning whether you know you're the coordinator or the event and the volunteer program and matching both and i i really do believe that it's a combination of both because the volunteers are always tied to the events well we have one more question that came from uh, kathy and Susanna. i think this is one that we might uh, defer to you and that's how can it comes from uh, from kathy how can local nonprofits delivering local programs more successfully present the impact of their work when approaching a large foundation? In other words, what information would they need to demonstrate to uh, have that desire to work together, that small, local, locally oriented uh, organization, nonprofit, trying to uh, work um, towards a sustainable and strategic uh, you know, goal with a, with a larger foundation? Any suggestions there? I can think of a couple of things, Jay. I think um, the importance of reading that foundation's website and materials and making sure to answer all the questions that that foundation you know, poses to, to a grant-seeking yeah. organization. I, I think it's surprising how many organizations like, neglect to really look at that and hone in on what the foundation wants to know. Um, and then I, th I think the second thing is just focusing on you know, not wasting time on applying to foundations who do not support the area that, you know, your nonprofit is working in. We're all guilty of this. We, we see a foundation, we want to send off an application, we spend hours working on it, we believe in it, and then we find out the foundation doesn't, doesn't support that area of work. It's always a great idea to check in with a program officer. You know, that's what they're there for in a foundation. They're there to advise, they're there to you know, gently steer an organization in the right direction. Um, I will say I've had most success with grant applications when I've done that ahead of time, like sort out the program officer or, or another staff member at the 
the foundation, maybe even a board member, and just talk to them about what I'm thinking of applying for and incorporating their feedback. You know, I was thinking exactly the same thing. I would, uh, start with the start with the mission statement of the foundation. If you can't explain why your mission and their mission are are aligned, well, everybody, that's uh, that's all the time we have for this for this podcast. It's amazing to see uh, the questions that are coming in. We appreciate that. Keep sending them in. We'll uh, we'll do our best to answer those questions on on future podcasts. Uh, if just keep on uh, submitting them, David. Um, I think it's time to say goodbye. Susanna, we want to thank you for your fantastic insights, the time that you've given the audience, and and really the knowledge from your consulting practices and all your wonderful experiences um, today. It really was refreshing, and um, we want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. You made it very easy, and I hope I shared something that's useful to somebody. Um, Thank you again for the opportunity to be on your podcast. It's really been so much fun. Yeah, no, thank you again. And to our listeners, we want to thank you for subscribing and following. And your support means we get to share the amazing and inspiring individuals with the world. We also want to thank our sponsors, Ariva and Maestrosoft, who are dedicated to tech with the purpose, driven by cause. Make it a great day.